Hello. Welcome to The Potential State. I'm Dr. Asel Romanelli. Today, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about intimacy, or as we say, into me see. And I'm going to be using theory and terminology from the David Schnarch, who is a couple uh, therapist and a sex therapist, as well as improvisational uh, guidelines from the theater improv world. So David Schnarch talks about intimacy as the ability to meet myself next to someone else. Or in other words, the, the ability to show someone into me. Not necessarily hearing more about them or asking them or mutual sharing, but a chance of, for them to let them see me, into me see. And he talks about two types of intimacy. The usual one that we grew up with is other validated intimacy, which means I'm only going to share if someone else shares. I'm only going to share if you validate what I'm feeling. I'm only going to do it if there's a safe space, group contract, group norms. That's what we usually see um, in therapeutic settings and educational settings and group facilitation. And that's a normal way to grow up, right? We protect ourselves. I'm not going to share something. Everyone's going to make fun of me or everyone's going to, you know, if I'm um, vulnerable to be wounded by whatever I say, a lot of couples say everything I say kind of will be used against me. So that's other valid intimacy. And then there's kind of an evolutionary leap where you go to self-validated intimacy because the problem with other validated intimacy is that you're dependent on others. If they're not open to hear you, if there's not a safe space, if that person is not patient enough or loving enough, you are not going to share. And what happens is you end up being alone, waiting for the other people to, to open up and to listen to you. And then you're holding the key to this relationship, to this intimacy is with the other. So there's an evolutionary leap towards self-validated intimacy. And self-validated intimacy, which is a leap because it's not natural and it's more dangerous, I choose to share without an expectation from the other. Which means I'm going to share something that's important for me. I'm, I hope you will understand. I hope you will listen. It's okay if you don't, but that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm letting people in and to see myself. Now, there's two types of ways of sharing what I'm feeling. And this comes to another two concepts, which are very key. Perhaps we'll do a separate talk about them. Self-presentation and self-exposure. Self-presentation is where I'm sharing something I've told a zillion times and I know kind of what the effect it will have. It's the story that that makes me sound cute or funny or silly or sad or wounded. And the truth is when I say it, there's kind of an unconscious expectation that the other will react in a certain way. So the way I feel it when I'm talking to someone who's in self-presentation, I feel like there's a pull. I need to react in a certain way, to laugh, to go, ah, to give them a hug. But I'm not actually free to experience that story for myself. That's called self-presentation. Self-exposure is what I call broadcasting live. There's no point. I don't have a, I don't really know where I'm going with this story or why I'm sharing this. I just want to let it out. And what happens many times is that this self-exposure is more risky. But the other partner, whoever's listening to it, the audience can feel free to react in whatever way they want. They don't feel like they're being manipulated or led somewhere or twisted in a certain direction that they have to react. So self-presentation breeds other valid intimacy because I'm only going to share safe stories, which I kind of know you're going to love, and I'm waiting to get your reaction to it, your validation. Whereas self-exposure, if I practice that enough times, I'm strengthening the muscle of self-validated intimacy. Intimacy that I am in control of, that I'm choosing. And when we talk about self-exposure, I'm thinking a lot about this improv concept of say the thing. In theater improvisation, one of the guidelines is if there's a scene about something, 
or if there's a reality inside the scene, let's say the two actors are playing a brother and sister and suddenly um, the sister's, the brother's shirt tears. Okay. Really, it really tears on stage. So we, we want to say the thing. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Say it. Or if the other actor is bored and not listening to me. So you say it within character, obviously. Hey, Daphna, you're not listening to me. You're bored. You don't want to work with me. Okay. So saying the thing is an improv concept, helping to raise the stakes and, and, and make the scenes, the improvisational seem more juicy, more real. But if we take it into real world interactions, saying the thing is called in psychotherapy terms, immediacy skills, the ability that I can call what's happening right now between us, the reality of this moment. It looks like you're not really interested talking to me. The truth is I'm not really listening to you. It's really weird. You're talking, but I feel like you're actually thinking you're talking about something else. Or it looks like you're listening to me, but I'm not really sure where you are. So I'm saying the thing. I'm using my immediacy skills. And research has shown, Clara Hill in her research shows that immediacy skills make therapists, in this case, who, who, therapists who can, who can say the thing, the here and now, our experience is more effective, more compassionate. They're actually better therapists because they're doing immediacy skills. And I want to connect this to this idea of therapeutic charisma. The ability that if I am in the moment and I'm saying what's happening, okay, so my clients are experiencing is more vital and my impact on the session, how long they were going to remember this interaction, as well as my charisma, how, how salient I am in their mind rises. And that's really scary because saying the thing in the here and now is very scary because that could lead to rupture. A rupture in relational psychotherapy means kind of a, a, a dissonance inside the intersubjective feel like between me, there's like, ah, like a little, oh, that's called a rupture. And what research has shown that the more ruptures and repairs, repairs that moment is like, ah, and then we repair it by either smiling or nodding or talking about it. So the strongest relationships are the ones that are full of ruptures and repairs, ruptures and repairs. And this process slowly, slowly increases the, the fittedness of the two people because the human interaction is sloppy. So it's through a series of ruptures and repairs, we slowly align and, and more and more in this more fittedness, there's more congruence, there's more flow, chemistry between the pair. So again, immediacy skills, saying the thing, both of those belong to self-exposure, right? And the self-exposure breeds self-validated intimacy. Um, I want to share a few examples of how this looks like and feels like on both sides, both on, on the side saying it and both on the side of hearing it. So the first example comes from a while back. I was working with a couple, and she is um, she feels like she's invisible. She feels like she's the foreign worker working the slave, like the Cinderella, and he is like the martyr and the United Nations trying to appease his wife and the girls, and the, the wife and the daughter are fighting all the time, and he's like in the middle. He's like, ah, ah, ah. He's trying to make that work. And we're exploring that, their roles and what, each one is gaining their secondary gains, like we spoke when we spoke about first order and second order change. You can check out those chapters. And he kept he had this 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 his business card, as we call it, his the the way he presents himself. His self presentation was this tormented, reflective um, husband that just wants everyone to get along, and he's done all the work. So when I said to him, when I explained to him the the concept of first and second order change and what it entails. He said, I really want to work on this. This is so important for me. So important for me. And the more I was talking, the more I realized that's not what I'm feeling. It's like, I don't believe him. Like I felt it was a self-presentation. Like I was supposed to go, ah, but something wasn't working there for me. So I, I gently said to him, 
you know, it's interesting you're saying that, but I'm not really feeling it. It's not landing here. It's not landing. And then he took it. He took a second and he owned it. And he said, well, the truth is I'm, I'm also kind of scared of the repercussions of not being in this role anymore. So what I did is I, 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 I said the thing. I used immediacy skills. I, I named what I experienced in that moment. I did it gently. It was a self-validated intimacy moment because I, I chose to share. I didn't ask him. I didn't wait for him. And it caused a rupture because the second I said there was like a little whoop, almost like I'm calling his bluff, like in a poker game. But then there was a repair. He smiled and he said, you're right. And there was that moment. So I could have been polite and just nodded and say, oh, mm. but then we would have missed the rupture and repair and we would have kind of like slid into self-presentation and the moment would be a bit less authentic, a bit less real, a bit less with impact. So I had to go through the rupture and repair. And once you dare to repair in the sense of you, you believe that these ruptures are worthwhile, then you will find yourself in more and more authentic interactions, which are also scary, but they're also alive. Life is too short to waste on chit-chat, small talk. That's just a waste of time. And I want to give another example from a staff meeting. I belong to a to, um, or kind of an institute for couple and family therapy here in Jerusalem. And there's a staff meeting once a week. And every time somebody else shares a case that he or she is working on, usually I'm very confident and, and I know what I'm doing. But this time I started the, the presentation and I felt like I was, I was a bit shaky. I wasn't feeling solid. I was going through things. And I started to present, but then I said, stop. I said, I want to share something. I said, the truth is I'm, I'm actually feeling very vulnerable right now. And I need you guys to be very gentle with me, which is not my usual facade in the, in the staff meeting. Not usually, it's not the role I usually take. I'm usually the divergent, the, the crazy one, the wild one, the blunt one. And it was a bit weird because the team's not used to be used to me speaking this way. And for a moment, there was like this little little rupture of why? What is he? Why is he saying that? It was a bit of an awkward moment. But then there was kind of like a calming down. Like I almost felt like I, I, I could. Expose something that was sat on me. It's a saying in Hebrew, it sat on me. And I just had to expose it. I let it out. I had to show it. And then something in me calmed down. And from there, I could do it. Go, I could self-expose this case I'm working on in a more calm way, in a more exposed way, more relaxed way. And the last example I want to give is um, for my personal life, like this interaction of coming home from work after doing therapy. So anyone who's done any clinical work or helping professions, it's hard to come back after a day of dealing with trauma and pain and anger and loss. And for a while there, I couldn't, I realized that I'm coming back home and the second I come up, I need to be all smiley and giggly with the kids, with my wife and have full of energy and love and belief and play and wonder and imagination. But it wasn't that easy. So it took me a while and I suddenly realized I need to just let her know. I need to write Khalid a WhatsApp before I go up in case I need extra care. So what I started doing recently is I just kind of write her like a few minutes before I enter the house and I'm just, I say a little bit, I've had a rough day. I need, I need you to be soft. I need you to be gentle. Or I feel like I need a bit more time to collect myself. I've learned to verbalize my needs in a way that's not self-presentation, but it's the self-exposure. And the second I do it, now, she could say no, and sometimes she can't always accommodate that need, but I feel like by bringing it as a self-exposure, 
I'm creating this self-validated intimacy moment between us. What I've noticed also as a facilitator is when I model self-validated intimacy, I'm creating an environment where people can share authentically who they are without expectation, without the need for the group to say, we love you or claps or hugs. Slowly creating a culture where people dare to be themselves, where people dare to say what they're really feeling. They're not trying to impress anyone. They're not trying to be a victim or a persecutor or a savior. They can just be humans. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to be. We want to be ourselves. Life's too short to pretend we're someone else or to pretend we're stronger or more pretty or more smart than we are. Because the imposter syndrome, we all have it. So let's minimize that by saying the thing, using immediacy skills to self-expose towards self-validated intimacy. And I want to give um, a few tips of how to do that in your professional and personal relationships. So the first thing I, I invite you to do is call yourself. Call yourself on it when you're realizing, either retrospectively or as it's happening, that you're bullshitting, that you're presenting something that you really believe in, that you're giving once again the, for the millionth time that same story about how in sixth grade you went on shlichut and you moved to another country and you felt alienated, la, 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 la. It sounds like you can never tell those stories, but when you feel like you're telling that story and you're not even there, you kind of see, even if you're seeing the effect is what you wanted, call yourself on it, stop and either say to yourself, or if you dare say it out loud, say, you know what, I was just, I was in self-presentation. I was trying to either impress you, or I was trying to enlist you, I was trying to make you feel sorry for me, whatever. So first call yourself on it. And every time you call it, you call yourself on it, you're always returning to the here and now. Calling yourself, or what I call own your shit, when you're owning your shit, you're once again going back to the here and now. You're going back to the immediacy skills. You're going back to self-validated intimacy. Because the second you're calling yourself on it, you're, it's not like you're saying to the other person, you all seem to call yourself. You're just saying, I'm calling myself on it. I want to be more real now. I want to be more authentic. And I'm raising the bar. And slowly, if you do this over and over again, you will be creating more and more authentic interactions because people will realize that when they step into a relationship with you, an interaction with you, a conversation with you, it's going to be real. You're not going to fake it. You're going to try to be as real as you can. And you're going to call on it. And I think it also makes you look human. And then if you're human and reflective, so they can also be human and reflective. Carl Whitaker, the family therapist, he talks about we need to fight to be authentic, the helping professionals or the therapists. But I'll say all humans, because if we're not authentic, if we're not rounded, if we're just a little sliver of who we are, we're just a smart one, we're just a pretty one, we're just an intelligent one, we're just an authoritative one, what we're going to be getting is a very narrow mirror, a narrow complementary role from whoever's cross from us. So if I'm the smart one, the other person across from me is going to be stupid. If I'm going to be the pretty one, the other one's going to be only ugly. Or if I'm the confident one, I'm going to get, you know, people that are not confident. And what I want is round human interactions where I don't have to be locked into one role where I can feel free to move from being a therapist to a man, to a husband, to a son, to an actor, to a child, to a male, to a human, to a citizen. I want to, I want to dance through all those states. And for that, I need to start calling myself on it. The second thing, once you feel comfortable with that, is to gently say the thing to the person you're talking to. Just like I did with that other person, I need to first feel confident. I need to first be able to call myself on it. So don't be a hypocrite. Don't start by calling others on their, on their um, cards. First, first work on your own self-presentation. Once you feel comfortable with that, you can gently say the thing to the other person. You can call them on it. You can say, I feel like I need to like, cheer you up after what you said. I don't know why. And the, I usually do it from one down. One down is when I, I go underneath the person I'm talking to in the sense of 
This is just my thought, just a few. One up is I know you are self-presentation. One down is like, I have a sense kind of that there's something's like, you want me to cheer you up and I'm not really clear why. I'm always asking it. And once you do it, be ready that there might be a rupture. The person might get defensive, might get angry, might get hurt. What do you mean? That's not true. I wasn't even thinking about that. Or, oh my God, there'll be a rupture almost inevitably. But if you dare to repair, if you believe that this is actually the way forward, David Shnarsh talks about meaningful endurance. I need to know that entering ruptures and repairs is in the long term is going to help me. Then I will be able to say it more and more. And there'll be ruptures and repairs and slowly these specific relationships conversation where I do allow myself to call my partner. Hopefully he'll, he or she will also call me. Slowly becomes a deeper, um, richer, more authentic intimacy. And I guess the last thing would be to keep aiming to be more and more yourself and closer to the others. We're going to do a talk about differentiation, but until we do, there's this idea of differentiation of by Schnarch as well, being myself and also being close to someone else. And it takes courage to do that, to, to call myself out, to check what I'm saying. Am I being, being authentic right now? To calling my partner, saying I'm feeling one, two, or three. Is that, could that happen? And the more I practice that, I feel more and more liberated to be myself. And there are more and more scenarios where I can feel like I don't have to pretend to be someone else. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. Life is short. I want to be myself. I want to feel comfortable and free, whether I'm in my professional workplace, with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with colleagues. So these were a few concepts of how to create deeper, more relational, authentic, intimate moments. And I'll finish actually with Esther Perez, a couple therapist who talks about she stopped seeing couples as being intimate or not intimate. She says intimacy is, is a lot of little moments. So instead of saying we're intimate or we're not, it's like how can we create, can we or can and how much do we create little intimate moments in our interactions? And those little moments that are self-validated intimacy, these little moments accumulate over time. To, to kind of color that relationship as an intimate or non-intimate. But remember, it's little moments. and any moment, I can call myself on it. So I'm Dr. Arcel Romanelli, and this was The Potential State. I'll see you next time.